I'm Ben Fern. And I'm Paul Sheridan. Thank you for listening to the Words of Grace podcast. Yeah, we've decided that we would do some special topics uh, for extra podcasts, and those will probably go out on a Thursday. Um, and we've just recorded a, an extremely profound podcast on Black History Month. There were lots of um, emotional moments in it, a very powerful testimony from the Reverend Anita Cook, yeah. who's very much an advocate for racial justice. And yeah. her story is just amazing to hear. It's really fantastic. So uh, we will advertise it. It's out on Thursday rather than a Tuesday when our normal podcast will go out. I'd recommend that you listen to it. Comments are, are welcome, but uh, that's where you'll find it on the normal Spotify, other streams, and also on the uh, Diocese website. Yep, it's available now, so please do give that a listen and help us to reflect more on racial justice and uh, hopefully encourage us all to do more to uh, raise awareness of it. Yep, and uh, see you soon on our normal podcast. See you soon. Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. <laughs> Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Ben Fern. And I do apologise, I'm laughing already because we have a special guest who's just literally leapt onto Debbie's lap. A very special guest. Our first non-human guest, it is our canine friend, Aslan. We could have just said Aslan. Aslan's in yeah. the room. Aslan's on the move. We could have done all of that, couldn't yeah. we? Messed it up. Yeah. Never Don't mind. re-record now. <laughs> um, yeah, um, apologies once again to Debbie, because whenever you've come to Church House, it's been announced on the tannoy that Aslan's here. And I've dashed down, and as people all know, I'm a massive dog lover. So I've rushed to Aslan first, Aslan. I said hello to Aslan first and then gone, oh, hi, Debbie, by the way, uh, which is the wrong order, I know, but I'm just a massive dog lover. That's fantastic. So um, Aslan uh, may well uh, join in, has already started to lick a microphone and is now sat virtually on the table looking at us as if to say, right, is anything exciting going to happen, boys and girls? And he thinks our microphones are toys or possibly food as well. Lollipops. Um, so you might hear the odd interjection from him. That's absolutely fine. It so is. We so can ask Aslan about ecumenical matters in a bit, can't we? Yes. Yeah. Bit of Hebrew, bit of Greek. Yes. Had a bit of that recently on the podcast, haven't we? So um, great to, to, to have him here. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might have heard that. <laughs> you might have heard that. Great. Yeah. Great to have him here. So we'll, we'll get into our, our real guest, not just Aslan, of course. <laughs> We're joined by uh, Debbie Coyne. So Debbie grew up in a faith-filled uh, ministry household, so both her parents are involved in full-time ministry. Born in Edinburgh and has lived in Northumberland, Kent, Cambridge and Sunderland. But Yorkshire captured her heart and she studied undergrad uh, at York St John, studying joint honours in English Lit and Psychology. Before ordination, she worked with nursery and primary age children who have special educational needs with a particular specialism in working with hearing impaired and deaf pupils. Her curacy was served in the Royal Benefice of East York and then in the Tagcaster Benefice. She studied theology and ministry at Cranmer Hall in Durham and was ordained deacon in 2015 and then priest a year later by the then Archbishop of York, John Centemew in York Minster. She was licensed to the Rivers team in Rotherham in January of this year. Uh, she came along uh, to the diocese with, of course, Aslan, who you can probably hear slurping a drink now. <laughs> Um, having served as the priest in charge of the benefices of Olm and Breferton in the Vale of York. 
She enjoys a lot of aspects of life, including country walks, reading, craft projects, watching TVs and f- TV and films, trips to the seaside and getting to know people and living to hear their stories. Debbie, welcome. Good to be here. It's, um, yeah, we're very grateful once again to, um, for you bringing Aslan, but the focus is on you. So there are going to be more <laughs> questions aimed at you than Aslan. You can sit there sort of patiently. So Debbie, I think we'll go from the beginning, really. What's been interesting on the podcast is we've had a broad range of people. Some have had very Christian backgrounds, some haven't at all. Um, you said you have. Just tell me about what that was like sort of growing up in that environment. Yeah, I feel quite fortunate to have grown up in a Christian background, really. Um, both my parents didn't. And so um, they didn't really have an experience themselves as to how to raise a Christian family. But um, to be able to go to church from a young age and to be able to explore the nature of faith from a young age was um, a lot of fun. And that'll be Aslan in the background if you can hear him. Because <laughs> you're getting really deep into the yeah, sort of origin yeah. story. <laughs> now I think that, that's interesting actually. So it's a very Christian household, but obviously there was a, a change somewhere. So you mentioned your grandparents weren't Christian. So was that something you were aware of growing up or something you sort of learned later on? It was something um, my parents are very open about talking about and um, was very fundamental to why they had faith, um, was that they'd chosen to have faith as adults. And so then they were really keen for us as children, so I'm one of four, um, that we were able to make our own decision about faith as we were growing older. It wasn't a default position. It wasn't a, you must be a Christian. It was a, this is what we do on Sunday morning. Until a certain age, you can't be left on your own, so you will come to church with us. But when we reached an age where we were able to be on our own and make our own decision about faith and life, we were welcome to do that. And you moved around a lot as well. What was what was that like, sort of going from location to location? Yeah, um, I guess I don't really know much different um, is the reality, but... Um, I think there's pros and cons. There's certain things where, particularly in this area, there's a lot of people who've grown up and lived their entire lives in this particular area, have really deep connections. Um, As for, I don't have that, but I know that when I got to university, I could basically relate to almost everybody that I went to university with because there was shared commonality. Um, So one guy I went to university with was from Canterbury, where um, we lived for a little while in Kent and he would kind of go well everybody's northern to us and I go well you know I lived I lived in Canterbury for four and a half years and he'd go yeah yeah, yeah, you pass that's fine um so it's that kind of thing you can kind of make links with people quite quickly I think and has probably equipped me quite well for being in ministry because of that. Was there a reason for the moving around then did that come with jobs or was it just we love to move or (laughs) No, it was definitely jobs. <laughs> well, I, I, we have my my, my uh, wife's family, Becca's family. Her dad notoriously was a mover, so you know we, we since we've been in Sheffield in in five six years, we've had four different houses already, and, it, and she is a bit of an inveterate mover. But yes, yeah, so there are some families that are movers, and Becca's dad was a mover all the time. Okay, no, yeah, so it was different roles that my dad in particular, but my mum as well, took up. Um, so our first major move when we moved from the Edinburgh area from Musselburgh to Berwick was for them to go to Bible College Um, and then he got his first um, in church ministry post uh, and that took us to Canterbury and then he went to train 
to be an ordained member of clergy in the United Reformed Church tradition in Cambridge and then had his first post in Sunderland. So, so it's a URC tradition that you've come from in that respect? Well, I come from a multi-denominational background. Great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was baptised in the Baptist church when I was 12 years old. Whoop out a Baptist. <laughs> um, so I'm very much about, yeah, ecumenicalism, <laughs> working with different churches. Um, yes, so... And it's a bit of a running joke that I've now gone to the dark side in joining the Church of England. <laughs> well, you're in safe hands. There's non-conformists in the room. You're in safe hands. There, safe so. space. Yeah. Safe space, yes. Yeah. I think Aslan's a non-conformist. Well. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely not conforming to any rules at the moment. Um, but um, happily for us, Yorkshire's what captured your heart, as you've mentioned. Uh, obviously studying there, um, yeah. serving there and serving there now in the present day as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very happy to still be in Yorkshire. And obviously, um, you used to move around, but still a big move having studied in York and served there. Um, one thing is worth mentioning, you were at the first Open Day for Clergy uh, yes. day last year. Yeah. Um, so obviously that helped to convince you to move here. But what in particular <laughs> was it about the day that struck out for you? Um, I think it was the openness and the transparency about where the diocese was at, what the vision and values were, that the senior staff, but not just the senior staff, kind of everybody within diocesan house were looking at and aiming for. And um, it was really clear to me that they were seeking, that there's been a sense of seeking God's heart and will in the diocese, and then thinking carefully about what needed to be put in place to help both congregations and clergy thrive in this season of change, which is very necessary. And I think it's a season of change which has been apparent within rural areas for much longer and has now come into urban areas, but has been on the cards, not just for the Church of England, I think across denominations. Um, but yeah, to see what has been being put in place, I, I was just really encouraged by that. And I thought this is a, these are visions and values which I can really get behind. It was, I'm biased because obviously I was there in a job <laughs> capacity and I was at the open day as well to sort of promote it. But um, I, I was struck by it, was, it allowed for sort of reflective time and it wasn't sort of talking at people. It was quite inclusive. Um, that was when Hannah Sanderbell, very much a friend of the podcast, was doing her, <laughs> not even a dual role, a, a sort of three-part role of she was there from a lights of christ perspective but also played the harp that was a reflective time you might remember yeah. and was signing as well but um i'm just pleased that we've got a very good case study with you here that <laughs> like you, you know been to the <laughs> open day and found it useful because that's that was the key part of it of trying to just let people know about the diocese and what it had to offer as much as possible yeah definitely and i think it was a very pioneering and innovative thing it's not something i'd come across in um and any other diocese up until now. I think there's a few dioceses now who have cottoned on to this being a good idea <laughs> and are copying, copying ideas. But um, yeah, and it, it gave, I think, faces to names really helpfully as well, which I think really helps break down that barrier when you're thinking about coming into a diocese. And there was a sense of, the thing that I really appreciated was in the conversations with Bishop Pete, with Bishop Sophie, with Archdeacon Malcolm, with the Acting Archdeacon Transition Enablers, was a sense of reflective practice as they weren't. They were willing to learn 
from the conversations we were having and go back and go, oh, I think we maybe need to clarify this a little bit more. And I, yeah, that, that I think is a really endearing quality. That was brilliant. And um, I've been guilty of just jumping ahead there. So just sort of <laughs> going, going back a bit to um, obviously growing up as a Christian, Christian household. When did you first think about ordination? Okay. Um, well, let's go back a little bit further than that. Yeah. So I became a Christian when I was three years old. There's a story. There is a story. Um, so that is possibly my earliest memory. Um, and my, um, my dad was at a Bible study. Uh, one of my brothers was definitely around at that point. And I went through to ask mum to read me a storybook. And she said, oh, I'm just spending some time with Jesus. And she was reading her Bible and I asked her what she was reading, as you do when you're three. And um, and she thinks she was reading the woman at the well, Samaritan woman, who uh, was talking to Jesus. And Jesus was meeting with her when he shouldn't have been in the middle of the day. And at the end of that conversation, I said, oh, I want to be friends with Jesus. And mum, having not grown up in a Christian household, was a bit sceptical uh, her three-year-old saying I want to be friends with Jesus and um so we prayed together and then she was part of what was known as the Scottish Children's Mission and uh, she went back to friends who'd been Christians for a lot longer and they said just watch how she is and um apparently I was like the best behaved child for about a week um, <laughs> my behavior seemed to have transformed um and then I went back to being a normal three-year-old um but it was enough for mum to note that there would definitely been a genuine heart moment for me as a three-year-old um and so I think from that point onwards I always reaffirmed I was slightly worried I guess that God was going to uh, not realize that I was serious about this um, which as an adult I look back on and just kind of laugh at the innocence of a child growing up um, but at every opportunity I was like I definitely believe this is what I believe and that doesn't mean that there hasn't been moments of doubt in my life or even since I've been ordained if I'm entirely honest but I think that constant going back to God and being able to explore my faith in a safe environment has meant that um yeah I've got a very strong foundation of faith from which to come from and then to come on to your question so I was enabled by my parents from a very young age to be part of ministry in lots of ways my mum believed that very strongly that children could show and have an understanding of faith which adults sometimes lose as we get older or we um theorize and so she supported me in being part of helping run Sunday school and one thing or another so from a very young age people have been saying oh you're going to be a minister like your father and I kept saying no I'm going to be a primary school teacher um, even though I could probably, looking back, I can see that there were definitely things stirring in me. I preached my first sermon when I was 17. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and again, that was my mum and dad making space for me to be able to step into something. Um, but I don't think any of us really seriously thought that I would be ordained necessarily, but I would end up in some kind of church ministry. Uh, probably children's ministry in some kind or youth ministry yeah so it actually took 
took a little while for not too too long obviously but um took a little while for me to kind of work through with God um and the key things for me were when I accepted there was a sense of calling was do I do it now or when I'm older because you know the typical member of clergy has been an older male model in the church um not so much anymore thank you Jesus but (laughs) not to say that they haven't been great they have um but actually that's been the model which has been presented so to be somebody who was in her mid-20s and exploring ordination um to kind of think okay maybe when I'm older maybe after I've done the bit that I want to do and um so having to work through that and as well as work through a sense of is this actually what God is calling me to Fantastic. That's a faith journey from essentially the very beginning, I think, which is Mm. um, really interesting. So just talk me through timelines in terms of you were a teacher before you were ordained. Is that right? What what order was it in sort of thing? Yep. So (laughs) timeline. Uh, So, yes, I went to university, studied English literature and psychology with a plan to do um, a PGCE. And post kind of being at university for three years, I hadn't heard the term gap year. Uh, until I went to university and then I thought do you know I need a break from studying before I go and do a PGC so I went and worked in inverted commas part-time for a church doing youth ministry and during that time the dreaded intern moment the <laughs> intern <laughs> moment yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> come along and be an intern it'll be wonderful <laughs> it'll give you such great experience yeah and it did to be fair yeah, it yeah, did but yeah i do know there is a, it's a double-edged sword isn't it it is yep um and uh yeah so and whilst i was there we were encouraged to get a job alongside to be able to earn some money obviously because you're not doing that when you're in church ministry in quite the same way in that setting um and as it was I could sign a little bit in British Sign Language and a friend in church she needed somebody to come and work uh two days a week with the little boy that she was supporting in school so God completely opened this door for me to walk into something which I absolutely loved in supporting a child um, who had special educational needs, he had Down syndrome and was profoundly deaf in a mainstream primary school um, and work in teaching. And I enjoyed it a bit too much, basically. So um, it was the joys of teaching without all the planning and prep and stress. So I didn't immediately then step into a PGCE, but did keep kind of thinking right at what point do I do that and reapplying one thing or another and uh, and then I went and worked in Tanzania for three months and supported a child over there missionary couple's daughter um, and it was while I was over there that I decided to really explore this call which God seemed to be putting on my heart and uh, and then I went to theological college it's basically the brief span of it yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's interesting you talk about was I too young or not. We, we've had differing people on the podcast, some of whom have felt a calling at quite a young age in their 20s and have, have said, I am called. So that view of, oh, it'll be, you'll do lots of jobs of work and you'll go and find yourself and then you'll find, they don't agree with that at all. Mm. And then there are other people, we go back to Amanda Barakoff, one of our first podcasts, where 
you know, it wasn't possible for her no, to, to yeah. find that ministry point. Uh, and, and, and I look at her and, and actually that has shaped the person that she's become now in a very special way. But that was because of restriction rather than capable. She was obviously capable, yeah. but the opportunity just wasn't there. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting of, of coming from a Christian household and knowing not coming from a Christian household, waiting till later on. There is no right way in the purposes of God, is there? No. It just is God's way of getting us to the right place at the right time if we're prepared to listen and work with him. Yeah, and that's def- fabulous that you were prepared to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, I think there's also this, and this is a conversation I have with friends, around whether it's okay to not have fought back with God about your calling. Because I think there's this... Um, conversation which we often have where it's like oh I was reluctant to go into ministry that is my story I've got friends for whom that was not the case because they knew so clearly that God was calling them into this and I'm not sure that that's as welcome a conversation sometimes as the I push back against this and I'm not quite sure why that's the case we're just doing a little bit of kind of in-group exploration about why we might think that's the case yeah and and there's the whole modern thing of imposter syndrome and how we feel about ourselves and who we are Mm -hmm. it's different for people and and especially as you say a a young female coming into this industry if i'm allowed to say that word which has been traditionally dominated by you know i'm an old white man so i can (laughs) see you know it's been dominated by old white men Mm -hmm. and um like in all parts of life to the detriment of what we've done is that and the inclusivity that's coming through now in terms of race and gender is has got to be encouraged in my opinion and and it has to be a widening of who we become yeah i think you mentioned that pushing back as well i think it's healthy to properly discern and really meditate on if it is the right decision going forward that's not a weakness that's a strength i think and actually thinking i need to take this very seriously because it is a very serious calling yeah I think you're right. And I think, you know, God knows all our different personalities and, and styles and preferences and one thing or another. And so he works with those as well, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm interested as well. I remember when um, we did an article on you joining the diocese as well. You talked about your teaching background. And I just want to know how that shaped your sort of ministry as well, because you've, you've worked in sort of difficult circumstances, but very rewarding as well at the same time. Yeah, Um I think it does. I'm the kind of person who internally kind of stores information, if that makes sense. And so I learn something and then I kind of internalize it and put it into practice. Um, It's something that in the theological world, um, we actually have terminology for and one thing or another. And I remember learning about it at theological college and going, oh, this is what I've been doing my entire life and not knowing. and I, and also theologically reflecting on it. How does this draw us closer to God? How does this make us more into who God has for us to be? And I am grateful for that time of working um, in another role. Um, I think it has given me insight into a role outside of ministry, particularly having grown up in a ministry background. I think it was also God's grace in going, I know this is something you really want to do. Um, so here, have some time doing that before I bring you into to this next stage. And I remember distinctly when I was kind of wrestling with God about coming into this role. Um, and I remember sitting in, a, in an assembly and God saying, this will use all the skills and gifts I've given you, not just a few. 
Um, but it definitely, it helps me remember what it's like for my parishioners who come to church on a Sunday morning, for my regular churchgoers, what it's then like to go into an environment where they might be the only Christian or they might be scared to talk about their faith for the pushback which comes in that environment. What it's like to be in a non-faith-filled place and share who Jesus is. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. I mostly can relate to people in an educational setting because that has been my my previous industry, if we're going to call it that. <laughs> um, but it's not just in that one environment. Um, and I think it probably has equipped me and given me skills of communication and understanding, um, which I hope is still informing my ministry. So as you came here, tell us a little bit about the rivers. <laughs> it's an interesting name, isn't yeah. it? In, uh, so I go to a church called The Vine. Yep. And, and I, I, I say this when I'm out and about with churches and people will look at me straight away and say, is that C of E? Because <laughs> it's not it's not St. Mary in the fold. Yeah, you know? sure. So the, when I first started here, someone said The Rivers and I thought, it's an interesting <laughs> name. What's going on here? So tell us a bit about that setup and how you came there and what, what's going on. Yeah, so The Rivers team, we are one parish. Um, of five communities, four church buildings. Um, so our church buildings do have titles like St. Lawrence's, St. Helen's, St. Mary's. Um, I better mention St. Andrew's now as well, otherwise I'll get into trouble. <laughs> mentioned three and not I the fourth one. I was just going to check on Google as to what was the fourth one for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> Someone somewhere will go, oh, she didn't mention our church building. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, so we cover the areas of Tinsley, Catcliffe, Brinsworth, Waverley and Treaton. Um, and I don't, I presume the reason why we're called the Rivers team is because we're positioned between two rivers. <laughs> but um, I don't know too much about why that's come about because I only joined the team in January. So I'm still learning quite a lot. And when this episode goes out, uh, Network Magazine will be um, published. Okay. You've done a good article for that on a recent pilgrimage the Rivers team um, took on. Just tell me a bit about uh, how that came about. Yeah. So uh, on Sunday, the 10th of September, we uh, we did a pilgrimage. So there's a few things kind of gone on here. Pilgrimage seems to have been something which has been stirring away uh, with us. And um, recently, so as a church family, we encourage people to pray daily through the Lectio 365 app which um, for those who were in the Diocesan Development Day last year, I understand, Pete, Greg came and spoke at. We did, yes. I wasn't here, but <laughs> I do know that. Um, and so they've set up this prayer app, which is a really helpful way, kind of praying five, 10 minutes on a morning and then an evening every day. And recently he, well, last year he did a pilgrimage uh, doing St. Aidan's Way from the Isle of Mull down to Linda's Farm. And he did it again and they recorded on it earlier this year. And whilst he was doing that, I was out for a dog walk and I was praying and kind of going, okay, um, how could we do this locally? Uh, and I've also got a friend who's just recently been over to Spain and done the... Santiago. Yeah, exactly. Which is very popular at the moment. Um, so I kind of had pilgrimage on heart and thought and I thought, mm, maybe we could move between our different communities. And um, over the summer, we did a preaching series, an all-age preaching series, uh, looking at what it means to be a pilgrim people, exploring 
what it means for the Israelites to have wandered through the wilderness and the learning points that we can take from that. And normally we start, so I understand from my colleague, we start and end those series with outdoor worship. We didn't manage to start it with outdoor worship because it absolutely chucked it down. (laughs) So we decided to have it in the building. But we decided for the pilgrimage as a nice way to finish it off and start the next preaching series. And um, it was one of those things where the preaching series had already been planned by my colleague, um, Phil Barringer. And so these things kind of slotted into place and it worked really, really well. Definitely recommend doing it if anybody else is listening to the podcast and they think, oh, maybe we could do something like that. I definitely suggest having a go. Yeah, John Hibbert, very much a friend of the podcast, um, <laughs> has done a, a pilgrimage series recently and, and I enrolled to do on it and then just was not available because of other family circumstances. But next year, he said he's trying to do it over a few weekends uh, through the Peak District. So My sort of neck of the woods, so I was very envious of that. Um, there's, I, I, I never know how you pronounce it, it's either Ilam or Elam. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Elam and Eam yeah. and all that lot. Yes, and uh, there was a few people that did that. And um, yes, that's uh, also in this uh, this month's network magazine as well. Yeah. Is it? Yes. Yeah, I had all the paper. We went to the calls, and then we just couldn't. Becca and I just couldn't do it, so we were disappointed. But uh, I have said to John, we'll do that next year. So, in terms of Rotherham, based here, are you? Do you live locally? How are you feeling about Rotherham? You have to be <laughs> careful because we're recording this in Rotherham. But <laughs> it's an interesting place, you know, and it has. Um, issues it has uh, a vibrancy but also areas that really need help not just from the gospel but from the communities around so how is that working out for you yeah it has been it ha- there are cultural shifts in coming from north yorkshire to south yorkshire yes um in good ways um as well as some different just different ways really um i'm really enjoying getting to know rotherham um i think where i am i'm quite fortunate i kind of sit in that space between Rotherham and Sheffield um technically Meadowhall falls into the parish um so we're kind of in that weird middle patch with the M1 going through us and the parkway also going through us um you're the reason there's a 60 mile an hour speed limit on the motorway aren't you yes yes yes, we are yeah air quality in Tinsley (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm not sure how many people actually by that but um, <laughs> because of my speed a- i'm aware of that because of my speed awareness course so that disclaimer there <laughs> i'm not one of those that when you stick to speed limit you're on those aggressive cars behind that pips the <laughs> headlights and <laughs> typical older white man i'm it? sure it's not you Paul. <laughs> back in the days when i had a merc yeah <laughs> Burk in a merc my kids called me yeah but yes we are that reason yes um and literally where i live i live between the Parkway Road and the M1. So I've got one on each side of me in Catcliffe. Um, The rest of Catcliffe is actually the other side of the Parkway. So yes, but I think it's an interesting history in that group. Um, Either people worked in the steel industry or they worked in the mines where Waverley is being built at the moment was a mine. Treaton had its own mine. so that very much a sense of the strong, strong history of what's happened within the different industries in the area being there and that being important for, yes, the needs of what people need. Tinsley's one of the most impoverished areas of the UK um, and it is a very diverse community 
which just wasn't the case in rural North Yorkshire. I'm not going to lie. Um, and actually that brings with it a real richness, but also challenges of how do you support people and how do you um, create connection and build relationship. Uh, but it's also meant an enriching of our regular Sunday morning congregation. So we have one combined service on a Sunday morning. So post the pandemic, they came from being in individual church buildings into one congregation. And what we've really seen is there's a lot of African families moving in, particularly Nigerian, into Tinsley. And they are coming to worship with us on a Sunday morning. And we are getting that richness of worship and culture as a result of that. And that's a real gift. So, Is it fair to say Yorkshire possibly feels like home now, given that connection you've had with your discernment with um being ordained um working in schools and serving here now yeah definitely and despite my dodgy accent which moves around all over the place because i've there moved is, around there is a lot of traces in that <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I love accents and there's a lot there is a lot going on with this accent yeah. <laughs> there is and it depends on who there's i'm talking to there is a lot of kent in there but there's a lot of scottish phrases which comes from my mum because she's scots but my dad's from leeds so that, yeah so there is definitely yorkshire blood in me as well and then my brothers have stayed in the northeast so two of them have northeastern accents and one of them lives down with my parents in south east london north kent so he has a southeast london accent so we are a real eclectic mix um but i have been mistaken by locals for being yorkshire at points because my accent just adapts to who I'm talking to. Best compliment though, that is <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't sound authentically Derbyshire, see, so I'm born and bred in Derbyshire, but I don't think I sound as... LJ, who we had on, my boss, yes. sounds far more Derbyshire than I do. Yes. There, yeah, you, you do sometimes drift into it, actually, but yes, there is... There is LJ okay, is... Any yeah. phrases? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm gonna, I might be noting them down on future podcasts, but... <laughs> Ben's gone all Derby on us. Well, I don't even know what that accent was then, but yeah. It sounded a bit scouse though. They did, yeah. <laughs> Father Grant's back here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been lovely to speak to you. It's great to have you. And it's, I'm sure you are a blessing to that community that you're working in. It's Thank fantastic. You. And great to have Aslan. Are we coming to our time of... Who's fallen asleep in the corner, yes. can I just say. <laughs> he's bored from hearing his mother's voice too much. Yeah, he's, soothed, he's soothed. He's like settled. Uh, he's, <laughs> yes. There's a couple of times when doors are slammed and he's up straight across and then yeah. back. But yeah, he has been soothed by, uh, by what's going on. So a few little questions around other stuff. So one okay. of the ones I always go with is, is books. Yep. What's on the bedside table? Are you a reader? What are you reading? Um, is there two or three tomes there or are you just one at the time? Lots of people we've had in say, I've got 10 books on the go at the same time. How is it for you? Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people who reads multiple things at the same time. I like something softer to read before I go to sleep. Um, so at the moment, I'm reading a book called True Biz, which is about some, um, well, it's about a deaf school in America. And um, so it's inadvertently teaching me American Sign Language, as well as British Sign Language, which is going to get a bit confusing in my head at some point. Um, but actually exploring some of the the difficulties for people who are deaf in having an education, in being in a hearing world, um, 
whilst also getting to know some interesting characters as well. Um, so that's my my soft read. That's a novel. <laughs> that's a novel. I, I've not heard of that, but I've got a daughter-in-law, or my son and daughter-in-law live in South Carolina, so we, right. we discuss transatlantic novels, so that's gone on my list. I've just written that down. Excellent. Um, I can't remember Amazon. the name of the author. I'll have to find no, out no, for you. <laughs> Other online networks. Oh, yeah. And then there's always theology books. At the moment, I am exploring my theology around same-sex relationships, uh, living and love and faith things. So a friend and I are reading a book called Covenant and Calling mm-hmm. um, by Robert Song, who is a theologian from Durham, and looking at his concepts around that. So that's one that I'm reading, but more gently and slowly. Um, and also on my bedstand to read is um, a Francine Rivers book. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I yeah. think of her f- really famous one that's in our book collection somewhere. Is yeah. that Redeeming Love? Redeeming, yes. There we go. Um, if you've got, if anyone knows Veggie Tales out there, it is <laughs> Redeeming Love. <laughs> yeah, that just summarizes my childhood. Um, <laughs> not to make you feel old or anything. <laughs> well, you are the same age as my children. Yes. We still okay, have, Boomer. Uh, <laughs> hello, Boomer. In the, boomer's in the room. Uh, we have a lot of VeggieTales stories in, <laughs> in our lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and randomly bursting into song. Yeah, Barbara Manatee. Yeah, there, yeah. everybody has a water buffalo. Um, <laughs> um, yes, no, the book that I'm reading by Francine Rivers, or will do, um, is her lineage of Grace One, and that's for a preaching series that we've got coming up. I'm very much looking forward to this question because <laughs> I know before our chat, before this podcast, that... Uh, Debbie, it's fair to say he's a fellow, can I say a fellow nerd? Yeah, absolutely. So have we got a Marvel question coming? <laughs> I think we have. Is this well. the first guest that's really embraced this moment? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Everyone else has answered the question very politely. <laughs> this is going to be more genuine. So I'll start off with a superhero question. If there's yeah. one superpower you could choose, what would it be? Oh, I think the gift of invisibility. So as somebody who picks up on other people's emotions already, I feel like picking up on empathy would just be too much or knowing other people's thoughts is just too much so it'd either be invisibility so you could just quietly fade into the background and still observe what's going on or it would be the ability to fly because getting between places very quickly I mean to just go and be able to pop to New Zealand that sounds like a lot of fun personally Definitely. I mean, I always, I always go for teleport which would yes also, same same yeah. yeah same same concept yeah uh, Marvel or DC oh Marvel Correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite Marvel character, then I guess. Oh my goodness, I don't know where to start with that. I'm a huge Guardians of the Galaxy fan. I I have to say though, I wasn't that impressed by the most recent film. It was okay. just slightly more dark and twisty than I've enjoyed with the previous two. It pushed the boundaries. It could have been a fifteen, I think. Yeah. Rather than the other ones. Yeah, but you know the depth of character which went on. Um, but I also really like I like strong women characters. So you surprised me. Yeah, I know. Go Cap- figure. <laughs> Captain Marvel has to be up there as well. Hundred percent. So you know, Wonder Woman going into the DC section is passable for me. Um, but yeah, I'm working my way through the Marvel Cinematic Universe at the moment. So in chronological order rather I mean- than film release order. I'm glad you said that because I nearly gave away a spoiler. I don't know how far into the MCU <laughs> you are. Um, but there are some very powerful... I think initially there weren't enough strong female characters in Marvel, but I think the certainly as it's been going along, they've been yeah. improving with that a lot more. Um, so who's yours? 
favourite Marvel character? Yeah. Mm. See, that, it's an impossible question. <laughs> I think in the MCU, I love Captain America. I know that might sound like a bland choice. But no, but think... he's a good Christian man. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I apologise um, to all the listeners out there. We'll get back to football very soon. <laughs> but I will say I do love, I think, for the relatability, uh, Spider-Man. Because we've all gone through that teenage sure. phase of trying to find out who we are and that sort of thing. So I do love the Spider-Man uh, sort of universe within Marvel as well. Fair. Um, I'll ask one more nerdy question because otherwise we're just <laughs> going to go off on a tangent and Paul's checking the clock now, I think. Um, so this doesn't have to be superhero related, but favourite film? Ooh, favourite film. That's really hard. So there's a few films which I go back to several times over. I'm also a massive rom-com fan. Nothing wrong with that. No. no. So uh, my go-to, as well as kind of going back into the Marvel Universe to escape, is also Pitch Perfect. I love musicals. I love rom-coms. They're a combination of the two. So Pitch Perfect and Legally Blonde. Also, some of my go-to films. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen Legally Blonde, I have to say that's the You've not seen Legally Blonde? No. Well. I have seen the new Barbie film though, which I thought was fantastic. That was fantastic. That is gonna be one of those films that I go back to several times. We actually had a church outing. I managed to rally other women from church to go and see the Barbie movie together. That's fantastic. They need to play on a loop that there's a very powerful speech towards the end, which I think that scene's gonna be overplayed yeah. quite a bit and rightly so. Um, yeah, that was. I preferred that to Oppenheimer in some ways, I have to say. Mm. Tim Gill didn't buy it when we had him on. He was like, no, he's not seen the Bobby oh, film. Yeah. But he should have done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Oppenheimer, so probably well, should well, balance well, things up a little bit. Yeah, there we, you go. Tell you the, we should tell you the story quite quickly. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people talking, a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for three hours. I know I really enjoyed it, but yeah, it was scratching a certain itch for me, but it is a lot of people talking for a lot of time. And we'll go with the last one. We haven't done this for a little while. Favourite hymn. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we haven't done that for a little while. We won't go. Where do you want to go with that? I think Be There, My Vision. Good choice. Oh, fab. It's got a good upbeat nature to it. It's got some fantastic words. Uh, very good theology. I have a real thing around what is the theology behind a song. If it doesn't quite fit, mm, I'm not that keen. Got a huge swathes of the 80s and 90s there. Oh, she's nodding. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly too big, I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a fantastic Van Morrison version of Be There, My Vision, from an old Van Morrison album, which I go back to every so often. Which very is Celtic origin. Very Celtic origin. Yeah. yeah. So Van. Keeping Van it in the north. Yeah. Just a quick bonus question for again. Oh, bonus question. Um, so we mentioned oh. favourite hymn. Let's go on to more, doesn't have to be secular, but what's your favourite sort of genre music, favourite bands? Oh, it varies quite a lot. Um, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. That's another area that I nerd out in. Great. Haters gonna hate. Yeah, absolutely. So you got to shake it off. <laughs> she did some great albums over lockdown. There's a couple of albums. Was it Folklore and... Yeah. Um, the, Evermore. Ev yeah, great couple of albums over lockdown, which we played a lot in our house, yes. I, I got introduced by my daughters and obviously to Taylor Swift, and I think she's absolutely fantastic, yeah. Incredibly talented, has managed to span almost every genre going, I think, in her music line, and, yeah, is doing incredible things for women in music industry. But um, yeah, so pop, rock, country, love some country music, um, which of course is where Taylor started. Um, and uh, yeah, and then some worship as well. So Sounds like a very interesting mix. Very good there. 
Debbie, uh, a huge thanks, not just bringing in Aslan, which we keep saying, but it's been great to go through. So well behaved. I know, yeah. been so well behaved. So cockapoo? Yes, that's right, yep. Yeah, very well behaved. You're a good boy. Oh, yeah. He's You're just... welcome on any time, Aslan. <laughs> yeah. And Debbie's welcome anytime. Yes, of oh, course, Oh, thanks. Um, but yeah, that, that mixture of your faith background, educational background as well, and that's made for a really interesting mix, and it's... Uh, great to see you doing well the rivers team and i hope that keeps going from strength to strength thank you thanks yeah thanks debbie and uh, as we always finish off with just saying we have got an email address words of grace at sheffield.anglican.org so if you do want to get in touch um i think if you want to be a guest on this podcast it may have to be a dog involved for a little while now <laughs> it helps it yeah. does help to get on if you've got a lovely beautiful dog to bring but yeah please get in touch around guests and any questions and uh, we'll get back to you about that and maybe mention it on Itself. And don't forget, wear your faith fortnight as well, going throughout October and November. Another yeah. quick shout out for that. Um, Hannah's the expert on that, Hannah Sandoval, but get in touch with anyone from the Lights for Christ team or the comms team. We can yeah. help promote that further. Debbie, thanks so much. Thank you for having See us. You soon, ben. Take care. See you later. Bye.